I'm sorry about the way my father treated you. No, your father was great. He was great. The way he took care of Penny. I mean, the way that he was with you. It's really me it has to do with. No. The way he saved her, I could never do anything like that. That was something. People treat me like I'm nothing because I am nothing. That's not true. You're everything. You don't understand the way it is for somebody like me. Last month, I'm eating candy to stay alive. This month, women are stuffing diamonds in my pockets. I'm balancing on shit, and I can be down there again. No, that's not the way it is. It doesn't have to be that way. I've never known anyone like you. You think you can make the world better. Somebody's lost, you find them. Somebody's bleeding. I go get my daddy. That's really brave. Like you said. It took a lot of guts to go to him. You're not scared of anything. I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of what I saw. I'm scared of what I did, who I am. I'm scared of walking out of here and never feeling for the rest of my life the way I feel when I'm with you. She brought a watermelon all the way to the Pachanga. It's Elizabeth Gomez. They don't call her spaghetti arms just because she can't lock her frame. It's also because she eats too much spaghetti and her <laughs> arms are wobbly. It's Adrian Gunn. Wow, these were rough this week. And this is Wokefield, where two middle-aged comedians consider recreating every single dirty dancing mambo in a quest for TikTok stardom. Should we do it? Absolutely not. <laughs> Each week, we watch a classic movie from the 80s or 90s and talk about how having your best friends be fictional really fucks up your ideas about being a person. Today, we're talking about 1987's Dirty Dancing, the very first film to sell over a million copies on home video. And let me tell you, I wore that VHS out. I don't doubt it. Yes, I watched the whole thing, then rewind and watch it all over again. Dirty Dancing earned rave reviews for its stars, Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze, R.I.P., and its iconic <laughs> soundtrack generated platinum albums and an Oscar for the best song ever. Now I had the time of my life. We listened to it on the way here. Yes, we did. Interestingly, Elizabeth, this fact is specifically for you. Um, apparently, this song is the most popular song for funerals in the UK. I'm actually not surprised. <laughs> oh, it's the third most popular. Excuse me. The New York Times described the film as a metaphor for America in the summer of 1963. Orderly, prosperous, bursting with good intentions, and sort of a Yiddish-inflected Camelot, whatever that means. I mean, wow, that sentence, right? That is wild. <laughs> this week, we're welcoming Ms. Delia Krop, a transgender Woo! actress, activist, and public speaker, to decide if it's time to put baby in the corner for good. It is not. That's start the recap. No, I'm defending it for the rest of my <laughs> life. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. So let's go. It's the summer okay. of 1963. Yes, where is. are we? We are at Kellerman's where our hero, Baby Houseman, has just arrived with her family, her dad, Jerry Orbach. Yes. Yes. Jerry Orbach, who donated his eyes after his passing. Good job. <laughs> her mom, we don't care that much about her. Her sister, Lisa, who looks exactly like Freddie Mercury. Yes. <laughs> There's something really janky about, about Lisa, but, but I really Lisa like her. Lisa looks like she could be Jerry Orbach's son. 
or daughter, <laughs> baby does not look like she's related to any of these to people. anyone in the family. I'm fine with it. So the family pulls up into this like, is it a resort? Is it a hotel? Yes, it's, it's a summer upstate family. New York. It's a resort. It's like camp for adults. So they're going to be there for weeks. This yes. is what they do in New York. You cannot be in New York in the summer. So basically, this whole place holds up like all these events, right? This is yeah. important to know because there's like horseshoe throwing and yeah. dancing events, yeah. and this is when Jennifer Gray realizes that there is a whole world beyond the world that she's known <laughs> you mean the world of poor people is that what you're yes. saying because oh, I was gonna say don't I think she knows croquet <laughs> okay so we meet all the people in the resort but baby is curious about the cool kids which are the entertainment staff yes and by entertainment staff all they do is dance I mean and wait tables it's so fucking hot no the entertainment staff don't wait tables the college kids wait oh tables. sorry well it's an important distinction <laughs> So we open up in a scene where uh, the manager of the hotel basically tells Jerry Orbach that he's glad that he's there and yeah. the family's there. He's like, hey, you guys are rich. We're rich. Let's all hang out together, right? 100%. Meanwhile, in the background, he's having a meeting with all the wait staff where he's like, I am rich. You are poor. No. Yes. She, he Not was like, like the waiters. I went, yes. He goes, I went to college so I could tell you what to do. That is a line from the film. And then that's when he tells them that they all, all the waiters have to flirt with all the guest and they all have to like kind of yeah. sex it up and try to sell all yes, this Yes, but stuff. the waiters are from like high class families. Yeah, but that's what he says. Okay, I'm just telling you the waiters are not poor. The waiters are like p- boys that go to Harvard. That's the point. One of them does. Okay. Well, there is a very distinct like class separation between the waiters yes. and the entertainment kids who are like dressed in flannel rags. And then the fucking waiter kids are in like Argyle sweaters. So baby goes around the hotel <laughs> and she's like looking for things to do because she's bored. Yeah. And then she meets a young uh, Billy entertainer, right? Yeah. Billy so, DeGreaser. He's adorable. He's adorable. He's like, you can't come to this party. She's like, please let me come. And then what does what happens? She sees a lot of teenagers gyrating. <laughs> well, it's first she has to carry the watermelon. But yes. <laughs> She Uh, walks into the sea of room of like hot, sweaty teenagers uh, just rubbing all their private parts uh, on top of each other. But as she's watching this happen, then the room clears. And who do we see? uh, Johnny Castle comes in with his partner, Penny. And you know what? Everybody knows they're the best dancers. So they clear the fucking dance floor so these two can show off. Johnny's in a tuxedo, but it's open. He's opened the shirt to his navel. I mean, (laughs) fucking baby is wet. So am I. Yes. Well, and then Penny's like up on... Patrick Swayze's shoulders where like uh, her her puss is like right in his face. It's uh, like the wildest thing. Yes. So then um, they all introduce each other. You get introduced to all the characters. And now Baby is invested in this group of people. Yes. She even gets to dance with Johnny for a second. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm going to fucking die. He's so hot. She's not wrong. But then he walks away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> later on, uh, Baby has been introduced to a very rich young man there who I think is the son of the hotel Grandson, owner. Neil. He's, yeah. an, he's a loser. He's but, terrible. But her dad... Dad and Max, the owner of Kellerman's, think they'd make a great couple. So she's sort of like thrust to go out with him. But then on a date with him, he's going to show her the hotel kitchen because he has access. Yes. Wow. So he's in the kitchen. He's talking about some kind of pie or pudding. Who cares? And then he looks, or Jennifer Grey, baby, like turns around, sees Penny just hovering in the corner of this kitchen, bawling her eyes out. She's broken. She's upset. And baby recognizes that now we have a crisis. So yes. she ushers Neil out of the kitchen. Yes. And then runs to the entertainers to be like, hey. She goes to get Johnny. 
Yes. Like anybody would do. And then Johnny, Johnny comes storming across the grass, again in a tuxedo. Oh, God, Patrick Swayze. He is <laughs> hot, hot in this. So he like runs over, sees Penny, and he like bends down. He's like, Johnny's here. Johnny's here. He fucking <laughs> picks her up and just like carries her away. Yes. Her little pink dance gown f- Which, flowing. You know, I normally am not a sucker for that kind of stuff, but I was like, Johnny, pick me up. Though he'd probably break his back. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a woke statement, and it's I know, not even. But it true. is also true. I'm probably just as big, very strong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so baby finds out that Penny is pregnant and needs an abortion. She is shocked. What is more shocking, dirty dancing or abortions? She doesn't know. This is a whole new world. So then, she's like, that's what happens when you gyrate with other teenagers. Yeah. So she's like, okay, we'll get you an abortion. No biggie. But there is a biggie yes. because Robbie the waiter won't pay for it, even though it's his baby. And Robbie's dating who? <sighs> Freddie Mercury. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> baby's sister, Lisa. And so baby's like, it's fine. I'll help you get the money. And they're like, she can't even do it anyway because she has to fucking dance the Sheldrake. And she's baby's like, can't someone else dance at the Sheldrake? And Johnny's like, everyone works here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, she like everyone turns and they're like, "Baby can dance. She can Michelle dance." Drake. Yes. So she gets the money for the abortion from her father, and she goes straight into dance training for this Shell Drake mambo. And let's be clear, Jerry does not know why Baby has asked for this no, abortion money. No, he has no he idea that there's an abortion. It's important trusts later. Trusts her implicitly because yes. he knows that Baby is a good person. So while Baby <laughs> and Patrick Swayze go into a montage of their dance lessons, <sighs> which so is the hot. only part of the film that I think is like the best part. I'm like this. I could watch this part all d- over and they over go and over to learn again. lifts. Her nipples are hard. So are mine. They're like <laughs> <laughs> they're like dancing in the woods. They're dancing uh, in the lake. In the they're just water. like they're having a great time. Baby is slowly falling in love with this 50 year old man. Okay. <laughs> Just to be clear, I Googled this because my resident lesbian of Wogefield Taylor is always at me about the age difference. Baby is 18. Johnny is 24. The problem is, is they that look like. IRL Jennifer Grey is like 28 and he's like 34. Correct. But let's not harp on the age difference because she is a consenting adult. She's about to go to the Peace Corps. She has graduated from high school. It's fine. It's fine. I'm willing to go with the fantasy, especially okay. if Patrick Swayze is dancing without his a shirt on. little black slacks, black yes. belt, no shirt. Rockabilly hair. No I'm one into it. can wear into this but it. him. Okay. So we get to Sheldrake. They have their big dance performance. Big applause. Yes. Everybody fucking loves it. But then, and during that period, Penny's, Penny's her having her abortion. abortion. So when they get back, they find out that Penny is very, very sick. She's sick. It was a back alley abortion. Billy didn't protect her the way he was supposed to. What does baby do? Baby runs to daddy. Yep. And this Who's is- a cardiologist? But okay. <laughs> I mean, he went to medical school. Well, you know, that's how. Well, anyways, all right. So then <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to unpack there. So anyways, um, he ends up saving Penny's life, which is a big deal. We don't even really know why but it or how. It doesn't matter. Right. She, he she gives seems her, to have he a gives fever. gives her something in a needle. <laughs> yeah. It's probably antibiotics right. and fucking a pain medicine. So it's then, cool. of course, daddy gets pissed at baby and is like, you guys, you can't hang out with these people anymore. They're yes. trash. Ignore them, blah, blah, blah. Yes, because he thinks that Johnny has knocked up penny because they have a very close friendship but yes. that's that's not true it is not it's true evil robbie. robbie correct and yes. then eventually penny and um penny and uh johnny sorry baby and johnny start to fall in love 
They fall in love. Yeah. They do the deed. Yeah. It's like, he says, you cannot see these people anymore. She turns around and goes back to Johnny's cabin to get laid. And she's like, I'm going to take this on. It is wah, wah. fucking hot. I'm totally into it. They do a dance sequence where he takes her shirt off and she fucking runs her hand across his butt. I mean, it is hot. And I will say this. Patrick Swayze is great at like a dance moment shirt off yes. film. Yes. Um, and I also just want to say, like, I love a musical. I'm into a musical. But this movie specifically scratches all my itches because I love a real reason for there to be dancing you know what I mean (laughs) it's like rooted in reality like why they would be doing this and it really just heightens all the love and hotness for me you're so wild (laughs) so wild okay so they fuck yeah so they end up uh, sleeping together and then eventually uh, Johnny is like blamed for stealing someone's wallet and then yeah because one of the bungalow bunnies is mad that Johnny won't fuck her anymore because he's fucking baby and then baby is like no 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 Johnny didn't take it I know, Dad. He was I with know. me all night long. <laughs> so, of course, Johnny gets fired from his job and he has to leave. There's a scene with Johnny and Baby where they're like separating. He's like, I'll never regret this. Yeah. You Meanwhile, me. everyone is practicing for the end of the season uh, talent show. Yeah. And. Well, you missed an important part where Baby has to confront Jerry Orbach for being a hypocrite. She was like, you told me all people mattered. You told me that I should help people. You gave me this like, which I think this movie came out in the 1980s. And like, you know, you think about now and the wokeness of it, like Baby, like confronting him. Is you know she's like your white privilege sucks. Yes, it totally. It's sucks. a great scene, and he's like crying a little because he knows he fucking sucks. He's just staring at the lake. You know, it's it's a big moment. It's it's great. It's a great moment actually. And then um, so the talent show starts. The talent show's happening. All yeah. of a sudden, um, Jerry Orbach is giving Robbie the evil one a check, and Robbie turns yeah. to him and says, "Thanks." And I'd heard what you did for Penny, and I really appreciate Oof. it. And then Jerry Orbach gets real mad. Yes. And grabs that check yes. with so much violence. Yes. <laughs> I mean, earlier when um, when Baby confronts Robbie about this baby, he says, some people matter and some, some people, people don't. don't. And then he gives her a copy of The Fountainhead. Kills me. Kills <sighs> me. So anyway, Johnny. Johnny returns. Yes. He grabs Baby, and he says the biggest line that we yeah. all know. What yes. is it? Nobody puts baby in the corner. Such a terrible line. I don't care. It didn't even make any sense. But anyway, sorry. So then they start dancing. Well, she's sitting in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) So it literally does make sense. I think he's criticizing Jerry Orbach. (laughs) So then they end up dancing. They end up falling in love. Then the whole room dances and everyone leaves very, very happy. I was sobbing. Of course you were. Oh, my God. I love the final dance. And Jerry Orbach apologizes to Patrick Swayze. That's correct. For being a dick. And it is a good film. And, like, the the end of it, it's, like, a, f- a lot of fun dancing and <sighs> whatever. But our question is always, our, our, like, goal here is to, like, pull it apart and to find out whether or not we can put Dirty Dancing into the corner. I'm not putting it in the corner, but we'll let Delia decide. <laughs> yes. Let's, let's welcome <laughs> Delia Croft. Delia, we're so excited to have you. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Just fine. So tell us, when did you first see this film? You know, I've been thinking about that, and I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> um, the fact is, 1987 had some amazing movies. Um, <laughs> it's, it's almost like the 
uh, all, almost all the iconic 80s movies came out in that one year. You've got everything from Three Men and a Baby Love to it. Platoon to, um, oh God, Robocop, uh, Crocodile Dundee, uh, Witches of Eastwick, Lethal Weapon. I mean, it was oh just God. amazing. And I do remember like all the ones I just met, The Untouchables. Uh, those I did see in the theater. This I might have seen on VHS, but um, I did see it shortly after it came out at the very least. And uh, yeah, I made quite an impression too. It was a great movie. Did you did you like it when you first saw it? And how oh, yeah. do you feel rewatching it? Do you still do you still feel like it holds up, or do you feel like? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, but that was the biggest surprise because it did seem like such an iconic 80s movie. I thought, oh, God, is this just going to be one of those trapped and trapped in time movies? But uh, no, the acting particularly. Um, I'm an actress. Um, yes. yes. Tell and, us your thoughts on the acting, because I, in yeah. my research for this, um, apparently Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze hated each other. And well, they, they had uh, apparently a rough working relationship in a prior movie that yeah. they had done together. But um, as has been noted in various documentaries and so on, that can, on camera, that can read as something pretty hot, you know? And, <laughs> When you can't stand the actor that you're working with, there's definitely a connection there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and they are hot together. And I have to say, Jennifer Grey, on my rewatch, I noted that literally for a long time in the movie, she doesn't really have any lines. She doesn't even really have, and the lines she has are sort of just inconsequential, right? And she does so much with her face that I feel like continues to give the character depth, even though there's not a lot for her always to say. Right. Well, she, yeah. Well, she, her character is, is something of an outsider there. Yeah. Or she, she feels like an outsider. And so for her to be listening and watching and taking things in is, yeah. you know, works really well for this. Um, but no, and, uh, Patrick Swayze, I mean, fabulous performer. I yeah. mean, just you, you can't, you can't take your eyes off of him even before he starts taking off his shirt yeah. <laughs> and dancing and so forth. Um, and, uh, of course the supporting cast is, is wonderful too. Jer Jerry Orbach's one of my favorite actors, uh, the dad. Yeah. Jerry Orbach and, is the best. Um, yeah. so when you were watching it, did you have those kind of like crushy feels, you know, when you're like, was it easy for you to watch it and feel like, like you're in love that you're in part of this relationship that, you know, like Adrian keeps talking about how hot it was or like how much you wish you were part of that. Mm. Is that, is that the kind of the same feelings that you, you got when you watched it originally? Well, that's a little complicated because at the time I still very much identified as male <laughs> and I was in the middle of my third marriage and uh, I didn't, I, I, I probably more related to the, uh, to uh, the action in RoboCop in terms of, if you're going to talk about, you know, so like, hy like hyper mask. No, but, but, you know, in, in a different way, yeah. obviously, uh, because I mean, you know, we've all, we've all been young and horny and uh, attracted <laughs> to somebody and uh, uh, they made that aspect very real of the physical attraction component of it. But to me, I think the, the real hook for me was more the, uh, the class disparity and um, um, how speaking of outsiders, you know, that's the one thing that uh, the two leads had in common uh, in different ways. Uh, 
Patrick Swayze's character, you know, being very much uh, from the wrong side of the tracks, as it were, <laughs> and trying to, uh, through his dancing, you know, to uh, move move himself up status-wise and socially and so on, uh, to uh, and to fit in, you know, in a, it must be a weird thing to, to be at a camp where you are like the star, you know, and yet you are also socially status wise lower than all of these uh, kids and other people that are walking around, you know, who are the customers who are, you know, any one of them complains, they could probably get you fired. And uh, so he's walking a tightrope, which uh, I thought was fascinating there. Um, well, can, can we talk a little bit about that, though, like the outsider feelings? I mean, let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit deeper about that. I mean, one thing for me is that I've always felt like an outsider. And one of the things that Adrian and I have like uncovered in our process of like revisiting these films and kind of like rethinking them mm -hmm. is how we as we were growing up or as like we were like living our lives, how these films affected us. Right. So for me, one of the things that I always feel in the films is a lot of times I never see a reflection of who I am in a lot of these movies. Mm -hmm. This movie I think does a great job. And we're like, you can kind of erase all of those kind of standard things. Like it was easy for me to like erase where I came from, even though I probably more identified with the poor folks, but gave me like a moment of escape like that I lost I got to lose myself in their world mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that was like I thought even the second rewatch now really was a part that I enjoyed the most about it so when you're talking about outsider and feeling like an outsider can you give us a little insight to you about that and why it related to you Oh, yeah. Well, I, I grew up in a really strange position. I mean, my, my family was very much lower middle class. Um, my dad worked for the phone company back when there was such a thing. <laughs> you mean and, those things uh, with dials? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, my, my mom was a stay-at-home housewife. And uh, we hardly had a pot to piss in, really. I mean, we, we did okay. But, you know, um, but... My father's father, my grandpa Crop, he was the warden of what was at the time the largest prison in the world in Jackson, Michigan. And back then, in fact, his, I think, was probably the last tenure where it was also a political, very high status job, not, not just a, a civil servant type of deal. He had a four-story mansion. He had a pool provided by the state, a pool that was literally a cement pond, and he had servants. So whenever I would go over to their place, suddenly, you know, I was like little Lord Fauntleroy and, <laughs> and uh, you know, the warden's grandson. And uh, it was very strange. It was suddenly like elevating yourself 20 rungs on the social ladder. And, um, Ah, I mean, it was like a very intense case of imposter syndrome, really, where um, I was made to feel, you know, that, you know, by virtue of being the warden's, you know, grandchild, that I had all of this privilege. And uh, I had my own, my own big old bedroom and go and this house. You just have to see it to believe it. It was just magnificent. <laughs> it, it later became a, a, a bunch of offices. It was so large. So I, I, I was, 
I was always torn. I related much more in this movie, therefore, to the uh, to the staff. Yeah. To the, uh, to the working people there. And yet, um, I also related to Jennifer Gray's character, who just by virtue of, you know, her daddy having paid for it all and her being a customer there, she was, you know, one of the elite. And she did not feel like she really fit in that group either. Um, and she was like, she was far more drawn, I think, to the so-called uh, the, the real people that were down to earth and um, and uh, her background as an activist, particularly, which is an important part of this movie. You know, she's going to go in and change the world, right? Which back in the 50s, there was a lot of world to change. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think that's one of the most interesting things about this movie that definitely as a kid, I didn't pay that much attention to because I would have been paying attention to the love story and the dancing mm -hmm. and like, mm -hmm. you know, the fight with dad, like whatever. But as an adult, I'm like, this is saying a lot of interesting stuff, right? Because her dad has really given her this like basis for like some white lady activism. Right. You know what I mean? Which is like, oh, I, you know, of course she's probably a civil rights activist right but like however that means because when she actually does kind of try to help people you know she helps Penny with the abortion that's what he's it's a very interesting thing right because he's never mean to Penny about the abortion he treats her like a doctor and like with a lot of respect and you see them again at the end that Penny's like you know talking to him during the dance and you can there's like a fondness but he is like disgusted that baby has somehow been involved with like helping with this abortion right. so it's like all the messages that he's given to her because you see them kind of they're aligned at the beginning dad and baby like talking about she's going to go on the peace corps and like you know whatever but then when he sees her like actually doing things that his violate like his moral values he's a real dick well i think that comes into the fact that there's a lot of things there right one is like the idea of class like you're what you're like women should be um conducting themselves at certain right. certain level at all times like you have to constantly uh be a certain way act a certain way she's a reflection of him yeah that's another whole thing right but I think the worst the, the thing that, that they don't really talk about which I don't actually think is about class but it's about like your kid getting into trouble mm -hmm. and your kid getting involved with like the wrong people you know and I think that part is underplayed completely but I definitely think that that is what redeems Jerry Orbach in the end mm -hmm. is because he realizes that yeah people make mistakes people have problems you know yeah um but I, I also think in the world of activism, it is an interesting thing. You you mentioned like kind of white lady activism yeah, yeah, yeah. because I think there's a scene where they were talking about food and she's she, his, her mom's like, well, you know, we'll send the food to Africa. And, yeah. then, and then they're like, no, Southeast Asia, mom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, wow. Yeah. The white lady activism is like on fleek here. Yeah. And it's almost not baby's fault which I hate to say as a white lady yeah. but it's like it's what she's been told right it's like it's like when I'm on Facebook and everyone's suddenly putting the Ukrainian flag on their profile pictures right? right it's like this sort of like I have these liberal ideals but then when you have to show up to like do something with them you know it everything starts to break down a little bit yeah and Delia you do a lot of activism work right tell so us tell us a little it. bit about it yeah well um I, my activism work is largely to do with the uh, transgender community. Uh, I, I, uh, I transitioned later in life. Um, I, I started when I was 47 and uh, was in my mid-50s by the time I 
was far enough along to uh, come out into the world and so on. And even older when I finally uh, came back into the acting profession. Were you acting and, before, uh, Delia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Uh, I did theater all through college. I went to uh, the Drama Studio of London and I went straight to Chicago from there. And I've uh, acted and direct. I'd acted and directed my entire life. Um, and I took a 10 year uh, hiatus, basically, uh, expressly to uh, transition. I didn't want this to be something that I did in the public eye um, or <laughs> just as insufferable under the eyes of, you know, the theater community. Because, gosh, we talk. Oh, can hard to believe. Gossip, <laughs> um, gossip. I, gossip. Yeah, I just needed this to be doing something for myself. And then, frankly, once I had transitioned and, uh, you know, had my name changed and everything, uh, that would have been 2011. There was really no place for actors, uh, for transgender actors uh, in the world. Uh, that changed, of course, with Oliver and Cox and the visibility of, uh, you know, of uh, <laughs> Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, or for better or worse. <laughs> um, and also there were a lot more by, by 2015. There were a, a number of, uh, of plays. Um, very problematic plays, and many times the trans character was cast with a cisgender actor, but it was a start. Um, and so I, I re-entered the profession and found that things were very much uh, yeah, problematic, shall we say, the kinds of stories that were being told about us, as well as you know the uh, um, openness to having transgender actors. And you know, I wasn't, I was not going to stand for that. So um, my activism is different in that sense than what Baby had, because Baby uh, was like you know, kind of more of a privileged activist. I'm going to go to Africa to help out, you know, and as a <laughs> fairly upper middle class, you know, um, white person. And um, I'm going to, uh, it's different than when, it's, when, when you're playing for the home team. And, uh, and, and advocating for your own rights and your own life in many cases. Well, you just uh, but, you just started yeah. in your first feature film, right? Uh, well, you're finally seeing it. You know, it was shot back in 2019. Uh huh. And that was my first feature film role. And it's, it's called Landlock. Mm hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's making the rounds of of uh, the film festivals now. And we're hoping that it does as well as uh, the director's last movie and it gets to be on Amazon Prime. We'll see. Uh, if it does, the whole world will know, I'll tell you. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, so that's a, that, that's a different kind of thing. I mean, I, had, I have skin in the game on this um, and she doesn't on that. And I could relate to that though, because you know, when I was growing up, I was, a, I did a lot of work for the Democratic Party, for the liberal part of the Democratic Party, which in the late 60s was like death. <laughs> George, <laughs> George McGovern, you know, I, I did a little stumping for him as a middle school, high school student. And uh, I was very, I wasn't involved, but I was very much a uh, uh, an advocate for all the civil rights and other uh, uh, great society initiatives that uh, that Lyndon Johnson had put in place, um, and I realized, you know, it was, it was a it was this world needed a lot of change to it, um, 
But again, that was from a position of, I'm, I'm pretty much okay. We don't have a lot of money, but you know, I was white and I was male at the time. And, you know, I was going to, you know, try to just make the world in a more abstract sense, a better place. And uh, it was interesting though, also being the, the grandson of um, the warden, um, all, all of the so-called servants or houseboys as they were called, ouch, just even saying that out loud, most of them were African-American. And I got to really know them. I mean, by that time I was probably uh, a tween or young teen and I got to know them and get to know their stories. And, uh, for the first time, you know, I was face to face with the fact that I had privilege and right. that uh, the, the world wasn't just abstractly a bad place for other people. That th These men that looked after me, that fed me, that uh, taught me how to swim and fly a kite and all these other great things. Uh, not just by virtue of you know being through the penal system but by virtue of their race you know we're in an entirely different reality than i was and that was a good thing for me i, I i'm still very very thankful for that um and how does that all translate to your activism now so like you're saying that they are you know these these men had influence kind of like watching it like activism is kind of like living in your own body at this point, right? Because you're, you are a trans person. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you just by virtue of existing, there's, there's this idea of like activism. Yeah. But having been since gender, you know, far as I was concerned for 47 years and because of, you know, the activism that I had done, you know, as a, as a young person, I understood what it was like to be kind of clueless, to be, you know, coming from the majority viewpoint on things. Um, most of my work now, frankly, isn't even just about transness, it's about identity and what we make our identity from and how our identity really circumscribes our entire sense of reality. Um, and we don't even know it, especially if we are in the majority, if our, if our identity is closer to what is the uh, default, the norm, as it were. And um, so I get that. And I'm trying to be able to talk about identity in a way that everybody can understand that this is a thing and this is a thing in you. Um, I flip, basically flip the tables. I'm, you know, I'm transgender, but we're gonna talk about you. We're gonna talk about everybody and uh, what part identity plays in our life and what it's made of. Um, what's fascinating about the characters in Dirty Dancing is that all of them are in the, the two leads are very much in transition. They both want to be somewhere else, somebody else than what they are right now. And uh, I think all good dramas have an element of that. I mean, I love I love that idea because I think yeah, that, that is we need each other kind of to get there yeah, too. Really, yeah, you know? I, I definitely think that there is a very clear note from um, Johnny about the fact that like he's like, this is who I am. I'm always going to be poor. I'm always going to be the lowest on the rung. It's never going to matter, and there's nothing else I can do. And then that's why Baby's such a great um, compliment to him, right? Because she's the one who's like, let's talk about you. Let's talk about the gifts you have to offer. Let's talk about the things that you can give this this like world and change it and um really like a level i guess level up would be the word <laughs> <laughs> use. i mean what did you think about that adrian i mean 
I thought a lot about when it was over about whether or not Baby and Johnny like ever talked again. Like <laughs> in my in my head, Johnny's going back to Jersey. You know, that's where I think he lives. What do you think happens to Penny? Uh, she's going there too because they're from the same hometown. But you don't think that Penny ends up eventually marrying one of the rich guys no, in the, in the no, place? No, no, always going to be a separate class. Yeah, Penny for sure. So there's a one point where um, Baby asks about Penny and Johnny and their relationship, and she says like they, you know, she she's like thinking that they're a relationship, and um, the the other kid what was his Billy it Billy. Billy says, um, no, they haven't been together since they were kids. Yeah. Which makes me feel like they must have been like first loves. Well, I think the Penny's a very interesting character, right? Because at one point they're like trying on wigs, which is like an activity. <laughs> and Baby says to Penny, oh, were you really a rock cat? And she says it's just filled with like, you know, so much admiration because she knows Penny's had this relationship with Johnny, who's so amazing. And, you know, Penny is so beautiful and skinny and interesting. And Penny's like, well, my mom kicked me out when I was 16, so I had to do something. That's basically what she says. And Baby's like, I admire you, you know. (laughs) And it's embarrassing for Baby. And Penny knows it. Penny's like, fuck off, dude. You know, she's like, did you hear what I said? I got kicked out of my house when I was 16. You're here with your fucking cardiologist dad. Like, get some perspective. And I feel like um, that whole vibe is really like a 2016 to now vibe. That's like a constant thing, right? Like, where like white people would be just clueless and say clueless shit and people are like are you hearing yourself like do you understand your privilege at all and I yeah that's all I'm gonna say about that I think that that's (laughs) I think that's also a very hard one because um it it's always it always feels greener on the other side right it always feels like and in this case nothing really bad ever happens to baby like she doesn't end up having like a major uh crisis at all and she just seems to be kind of the hero Mm -hmm. but there is something to be said like there's that scene where he um, her and Johnny have like broken up and then uh, her sister is like I can do your hair but you're like super perfect the way yeah, yeah. you are yeah and she talks about how like she's like I like it the way that you you look and yeah um, that heartbreak though f- I think feels real for baby and I think that that's sometimes a hard part about privilege is that your feelings can st- and I'm not trying to defend people about privilege but I'm just saying like that the ache and the, the need to defend it immediately tends to be from a place that may be sincere, yeah. but you have to look past it. Well, yeah, baby sincerely does envy Penny. Right. Cause she's had this relationship with Johnny that everybody, For 10 seconds that everybody fucking <laughs> wants this relationship with Johnny, you know? And she thinks she's had this glamorous life as like a rock cat and she's doing this dancing thing. So the feeling is earnest, but it's also like totally short sighted. And it's interesting to think like, if baby were to go to Jersey or like Long Island or like wherever Johnny lives, like if everything falls apart, like does it only work because they're on somewhat of a level playing ground meeting in this like neutral area? Well, and that, that you have all your food paid for and your housing right. paid for like that. Right. Which, she doesn't have to like, they go out to dinner and right. who's paying. Right. Like that's not <laughs> they like don't, an they issue They don't have yet. a moment where they're like, our bills are coming to who's bringing in the check. Right. But that makes me go back to this whole idea of fantasy and first loves and like this idea of like how dreamy love can be or how dreamy it can feel. Delia, do you want to tell us a little bit about your very first love, your very first like heart, heart crush feels? I don't know. I don't know how else to say. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Uh, my, my first girlfriend, I was a uh, junior high. I mean, junior high. I was a junior in high school and she was a senior. And she was, of course, going to be graduating a year ahead of me. And I was just totally smitten. I'm definitely the first the love of my life. And uh, I got to go to the senior prom as junior, you know, and uh, and uh, all kinds of things. But, you know, we were both very wrapped up in school. You forget just how intensely busy you are. Uh, in, in, as uh, at least I was uh, in high school with extracurriculars and keeping up your grades. And she was incredibly smart. She became a lawyer. And uh, she got, and then she graduated. And as you do, you feel a tug out there into the real world. I still had another year of high school to go. And she broke it off with me. Oh, and that's so it hard. Was, it was <laughs> Ah, oh, it was world ending for me. It really was. I just cried and couldn't couldn't get over for for quite a while. Was um, it was it like years over or that it was just a couple of months or was it years in teenage age? It was, yeah. no, it was, it was several months, months which that age yeah. is like years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, being a teenager is rough. It is like the hardest thing to do. I think my first uh, crush was um, a guy named Jason. And I was thinking I was like in seventh grade and I sent him a note and I was basically like, I love you. And he was basically like, no. <laughs> he, was, he was pretty much like, uh, you're ugly and I'm not going to have anything to do with you. No. And then that was pretty much the rest of my dating life. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, I will say watching the end of this movie, which, as you know, I love to have like my emotional buttons pushed by like a good film. Delia, you don't know about this about Adrienne, but she loves a love story. Well, I do. And I also really love this kind of movie, which to me feels like a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like movies from the mm-hmm. 80s, like for me, feel like what movies should be, you know, or even like some in the 90s, like Jurassic Park, like movies now, you know, I, I don't connect to Black Widow personally. <laughs> I'm happy to go with you guys. But like it, it's it, this is what like feels like a movie. And, you know, at the end when, you know, he's like, I'm going to do my kind of dancing with a great partner, someone who's taught me. And I'm like. Tell me the moral of the movie. To make a big grand gesture. Do the dance. I'm crying. And then I was like, do I want to get on the dating apps again? Like, I thought about it for a second. I was like, maybe love is real. Maybe it's out there for me. And then <laughs> I just like come back to like, actually, no, someone wrote this and pushed all your buttons and it worked. I loved it. I loved it. I love it. Maybe you find a dance partner somewhere. But I'm not I- a good dancer. <laughs> Delia, do you do you think when you're uh, when you were watching this film, was there a part of you that was like, I wish I could just dance like this? Oh yeah, absolutely. The thing is, for me, uh, and this would be, of course, by no means unique for a Midwestern uh, male. I, I wasn't much of a dancer in high school. Um, I uh, you didn't I learn actually- to square dance. I did uh, that. Oh, I did that. In, I did that in fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say everyone square danced. Not, not much hilarious. of a sexual connection in square dancing. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the why they have us do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, for me, I first like 
really connected with my body on a dance floor um, over in England. Uh, this would have been like well into the disco era. Love disco. Yes. I think it was. Yeah. Bring that back. <laughs> Great. What? Bring what? that back to disco. <laughs> yeah. I'm old. No, I'm saying they should bring that back. I want to go to a dance club and like mm-hmm. disco dance. Uh, yes, I want to do that. Delia, did you wear uh, like super like awesome sequency outfits? I kind of did more of the uh, sophisticated Brit- uh, British version of that. I, I Wide did lapel. actually, even as a poor student in England, I went out and spent a fortune on some really nice clothes, uh, <laughs> some dark brown velour pants, yes. Yes. zipper boots, yes. Yes. <laughs> very fashionable clothing. Because of the first time, I really actually felt like a sexual being. And I had few relationships by that time and was already in my first marriage and so on. But I had never really, you know, felt that I could express that in any sort of way until, you know, I hit that dance floor. I wasn't very good, but at least I really enjoyed myself and the whole culture of disco where just everybody gets out there and kind of immerses themselves um, in that fun vibe was was fantastic. Yes, it, it really I was. Do that. Me too. Me too. I, I definitely think that uh, in this film, I love the dancing. But um, Delia, you just said something that like made me think a little deeper is when you said um when you were dancing, it was the first time that you felt connected to being a sexual being. Mm-hmm. So what, what was that for you? What was that like? What, how, how was it different from any other part of your day? Like what about mm-hmm. dancing made you feel that well, way? I would say publicly. I mean, I felt very sexual and I'd already had well, my share of relationships. It was the seventies after all, but you know, I'm in terms of really connecting in a public open way, you know, with my, with my sexuality and, um, as somebody, you know, that could just be a physically attractive. I mean, once you're in a relationship, that's a done deal, right? But um, that's different, you know, especially if you're an actor, you, you're concerned about these things. You're concerned about how you're read and if you have any charisma and anything that's at least bit attractive about you. And uh, I'd say I had a good start on it then. Um, uh, in the early 80s, when it was really a di- whole different type of dance fever kind of thing, um, I kind of went through my second adolescence. I was back in Michigan and I was waiting table. I was at a country club, in fact. I mean, not terribly dissimilar kind of <laughs> situation to, uh, to this movie, you know, a very upper class kind of hoity-toity atmosphere, but all the staff afterwards we'd always go out you know and we would just dance our asses off to the you know the great music ring flock of seagulls to (laughs) flock of seagulls 80s like new wave right yeah what was the name of the clubs that you guys would go to because we always we talk about this kind of club amnesia was adrian's place what was uh who else mentioned a club the other day i forget it was so funny Oh, forget it. What was the name of the club? There were some great places. I wasn't in Chicago during that period. I was back in my hometown in, in Michigan there. But um, it didn't really matter whether it was just like a little road stop place or a big fancy, uh, whatever the successor to disco was, you know, these great dance places. I mean, it was just, it was so much fun. And, uh, you know, for me to finally connect with my body and, and just go out there and have a great time was a huge thing for me. I mean, when I was in high school, I was 
just, you know, little goody two shoes and kind of shy, very shy, actually. Um, and I just, you know, just couldn't see myself doing that sort of thing and very insecure. And it's interesting. Dance has been a part of kind of these life transitions for me. When I first started to, uh, to go out as female, um, I would go to places like uh, Berlin. Oh, I and, love Berlin. Uh, and all the, all the all the gay bars up and down Halstead Street there, and you know, and to kind of test out my my lady chops, you know, flirt <laughs> <laughs> uh, and to, to look pretty and to get groped up on the dance floor. Berlin is really good for that. <laughs> I'm glad you gave our audience a little tip there. It's a hot tip, everyone. If you want to get felt up on the dance floor, please go to Berlin. Oh, yeah. Well, it still is. It's still, I don't know about the moment post-pandemic, but yeah, it's it's, it's always been a a very interesting mixing place. You know, you've got people of all different sexual and gender identities and classes, and uh, it's a a favorite place for the... uh, for the white yuppies to go slumming. And so you get kind of a nice <laughs> mixture of people. <laughs> Should we go dancing, Adrian? It's been a minute. I would love to. I was, oh, uh, yeah. I thought the dancing was so good in this movie. I will say that I yes. was a sucker for it because it is. Yeah. Especially when Amazing. they walk into the sea of like teenagers dancing and they're all like, I was like, wow, I loved all the dancing. Yeah, always. Um, But one thing I did want to talk about, like in terms of class and things that I was thinking about um, is that my friend Taylor tells us tells me that capitalism is going to kill us all, that that's really the main scourge. And I think we're seeing that like that every problem we're having, like continues to come from this like capital place or capitalist place. And I was thinking about class like I am like, well, I'm probably middle class but maybe like a real shaky one like a lower middle class that could easily collapse and it, I just wanted to know kind of your thoughts about capitalism our future I mean because this movie is about class but it, it doesn't always like it, it doesn't bring the whole line it doesn't have to like draw the whole line between like class and like all our societal problems right yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on that. I think the global, there's a huge global question, right? Because like, I read this article not too long ago about how Americans, even our poorest Americans are, are probably not as poor as other countries. Uh-huh. And like how how our perception of not having wealth is mm-hmm. different than other countries um, because we are pretty prosperous, like pros- prosperous. Prosperous. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I think that that's an interesting thing. I am definitely a person who lives paycheck to paycheck, but I'm pretty sure if I was a millionaire, I'd still live paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> like, I think I have a personal problem with my finances. <laughs> and I think like everyone else, like I'm just kind of dreaming. All three of us are creatives, right? Like the three of us all want to like eventually hit it, hit it big in some field that's creative where we can make lots of money and feel secure. I just don't think that that's my future. Mm-hmm. Delia? Oh, well, oh, um, um, yeah. Well, the thing about the thing about uh, capitalism and so on is uh, that's a competitive thing. It it means that a few people are going to be winners and the rest of us are going to be losers. And unless you have a really strong social safety net in place, um, that's going to make for a lot of discontent. It's gotten much worse uh, over the course of my lifetime. 
I mean, when I hit the job market in the in the mid seventies, I mean, we were we were heading into a definite recession, but um, we had we were still kind of riding high on that plateau from the sixties when the middle class, like largely to the unions and to a booming economy, were were doing pretty good. And even and we we. We still made a lot less than, say, the president of the company, but it wasn't the huge disparity that it is now. Right. And uh, I mean, what, what, what this happened? This has happened before in cycles. Uh, it particularly happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s, when well, a few robber barons basically owned all of the industrial, um, you know, your, your Rockefellers and and uh, so on, uh, owned most of America, and. Uh, then the labor movement and the first world war and the depression started you know leveling things out and uh, and then the second world war and the whole idea that there should be enough of the pie for everyone really only came into 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 happening really in the late 40s and 50s you know by the time i came along um, and we, as we boomers, you know, we lived through that and we got to experience it uh, as kids. And uh, <laughs> those that went on to do okay for themselves, they think that's still the way the world is <laughs> because they're not out there like we are going paycheck to paycheck. But the, uh, the, the, the problem is, is being born into an assumption where there should be enough for everybody enough opportunity, at least for everybody, and there no longer is. Um, that's the dissonance that we're in right now. Yeah. Whether yeah. that's our, you know, whether that's, um, you know, winner take all nature of unbridled capitalism, or it's just the way that it's, you know, that it's gone. That's, um, also, that's also a big concern too for um, young trans people is is about like job security and the availability mm -hmm. to, to money in a capitalist society because the there's a lot of studies now that basically are saying like you know when you're when you're a trans person trying to adjust to a new job or being accepted into like a normal corporate career is tough and then not having family support which also helps a lot of us you know like a lot mm -hmm. of us a lot of people end up with wealth because their parents had enough like insurance on their death mm -hmm. like it's it's really messed up it's a really like terrible thing to think about um but I also I also just have hope you know like I do mm -hmm. I have hope that like our next generation of people are working really hard to make it more equal and to be more fair to each other um I hope they burn down all the corporations <laughs> <laughs> like, I, hope, I hope that and like to make room you know I sometimes struggle um because we talk about this on the on the 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 podcast a lot is like becoming a woke person becoming someone who is trying to think outside the box and trying to improve society sometimes really is really annoying and sometimes you're like oh everyone's so sensitive or why can't people just be like cool you know but it actually is like creating change it actually is creating like movements where things are being very very more like much more accepted um, that we're making room for different types of people. And I, I, I mean, I guess that's my ending thought. I just have like a lot of hope for this yeah. to change. I love that. Yeah, let's end there. Because okay. we never end hopefully. <laughs> we never <laughs> <laughs> we keep everybody on their toes. Do we have last thoughts? Um, I, I think my last thought is, thank the Lord the movie holds up. 
everybody's on the right side <laughs> of where they should be. Let Jerry Orbach be the villain. He takes his medicine. You know, he comes to his senses. The dancing's great. The music's great. I'm keeping it. I'm thrilled. Delia, what do you think? Last thoughts. Yeah, I think as, as long as there's a dance floor where everybody of all all backgrounds, all social strata um, are welcome and it's uh, a, a, a place of joy. I mean, the dance floor is a wonderful metaphor f- for this con- for this country socially. I really think it is, um, you know, where we can all for a moment we can all be equal and have a good time and have a lot of fun oh i love that i love that that's like so that's another another line of hope yes uh for me i'm gonna say that we can keep dirty dancing i'm not gonna put it in the corner no i'm very excited to like continue to enjoy and love that movie and that bomb ass soundtrack oh Mm. my god and patrick swayze's outfits you know the black slacks the black belt the black tank top the black little dancing shoes with I mean the that heel. is literally the outfit I wear every day <laughs> it doesn't look as good on you hey <laughs> I mean that was a low blow but we are talking about Patrick Swayze we are <laughs> all right everyone thanks for listening to woke field Delia how do people find you where do we get a watch landlocked tell us tell us how our audience can t- can access you um, my, you can go to my website, which is uh, therealdelia.com. Oh, I love that. Therealdelia.com. And I'm, and I'm on Facebook as well. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, next week, we'll be discussing the one and only beaches. And for a film that is all about best friends besties besties very best good friends it's just gonna be the two of us talking about friendship and who really is the wind beneath our wings (laughs) fly (laughs) follow us on instagram at wokefield pod tell us what you think will you watch dirty dancing forever and ever i know you will and rate and review us on your favorite podcast app because look we're old women and we're erased by society we need validation Lift middle-aged women's voices. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Delia. Thanks, Thanks Delia. Adrian. Woo! For I've had the time of my life. <laughs> and I hope you-